2: Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom,
1: it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham.
2: Feels like a good time for a milestone. It's episode 400 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and it just seems crazy to say that out loud. Episode. 400. If you've been with me from the beginning, or if you're just starting to listen to the show, hey, thank you either way, because it's going to be an exciting week. And guess what? It feels like the first normal week in a while, right? With the with the holidays and everything. And uh, hey, my recording schedule has been all over the place and trying to get these shows together and stuff like that. But normally for landmark episodes, if you've been listening for a while, like this one, it's it's all interviews, right? And then I thought to myself this time around, I was like, okay, That's great, but that's not really what the show is all about, right? So why shouldn't the show still be the show? So I decided to do that this week, but oh, that doesn't mean there's no interviews. As a matter of fact, i got two big interviews. Javicia Leslie, Batwoman herself, going to join me for an amazing conversation this week with a little bit of a twist, because I actually got to sit down with Javicia for like 30 minutes. But I'll only play a part of that interview this week, and I'll let you know where you can hear the rest of it. A little bit later on. Also going to talk to the creator, author, and illustrator of Monkey Meat from Image Comics. Junie Ba will join me. Very cool, unique, funky story that we're going to talk about. And as far as reviews go, that's going to be a big part of this week's show. Because I'm going to be talking about Season 4 of Cobra Kai. Going to talk about a new show from Fox called The Cleaning Lady. Also, my Better Late Than Never review of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and so much more. Let's get things kicked off the right way. It's time to talk about the mid-season premiere of the third season of Batwoman with the star herself. Javicia Leslie is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: Yo, yo, this is Cam Russ Johnson from the cast of Batwoman, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Oh, boy, has it been a wonderful season of Batwoman. Season three has been just crazy, and it's going to be coming back on january the 12th we can't wait but let's talk about everything that's happened so far with batwoman herself ryan wilder javicia leslie how you doing
0: i'm amazing how are you james
2: javicia i'm doing great so i want to let's rewind a bit to the end of last season beginning of this season when you go into last season you're this brand new character, like literally a brand new character putting on a very familiar suit that fans are very familiar with you had to establish establish yourself last season Talk to me about what was the, how was the vibe different going into this season than it was that first season
0: for you? The first season, I was scared to shit. That's the first first thing. No one teaches you how to be a superhero. You kind of have to figure it out on your own. And I wasn't coming on a show that a superhero already existed on. So it would be different if like I came on and Batwing already existed or whomever else will become a superhero like I already existed. When I came onto Batwoman, there wasn't an existing superhero. So I literally had no one to say, oh, well, this is the thing about the suit. And also just to let you know, you won't really hear people when you have your cow on, you only hear yourself. And like, I didn't get any of these things. So a lot of my journey at the beginning of the second season was really honestly the same as Ryan's journey, which was learning how to be a superhero, flaws and all, you know, and then going into the third season, I know that I can't hear anyone when I have my cow on. I know like how the suit feels. I know how the stocks feel. I know how the harness feels when I haven't on for a long time. I know what the hours are like. Like I know my my co stars and you know it's just like it's different and it feels comfortable and it feels like like home you know um, and I think that because I feel like that as an actor as a person it also shows in Ryan, in, in the delivery
2: of Ryan. No doubt about it. Now, we saw Kate come back for a little bit last season, and we've heard her referenced a couple of times this season, but is it kind of nice going into this season? And for lack of a better way of putting this, like the shadow of Kate is now gone, and this is this is Ryan's show, and fans know this is Ryan's, period, nobody else's. Is that refreshing for you? Does it feel like you know now the, the wheels can really come off and this can really be Ryan Wilder's Batwoman?
0: I think so much of last season was also Ryan wanting to bring Kate home genuinely because it's nothing it's nothing nothing feels good about taking over a, a role when you don't feel like it's yours to have or that it's not earned. And I think that bringing, you know, going through the work of bringing Kate back, if she got, if, if Kate then said, yeah, you could be Batwoman, cool, great. Ryan would have felt accomplished and kept moving. But even if Kate said, okay, I'm going to take it from here, it would have felt more authentic, knowing, it, it feels authentic knowing that she did the work to bring Kate back. She did the work to bring Kate back. She sacrificed her life to bring Kate back. So You know, Kate choosing to go and look for for Bruce left the symbol there for then Ryan to continue. Also, Kate feeling like Ryan deserves to continue, that she's trustworthy, that she's earned it, that she is a protector of the city, you know? So yes, of course, as an actor, it, it is fun going into a season where Ryan is just Batwoman and that's it, everyone in Gotham knows. Shoot, everyone in the world knows, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Real life, like, yes, that's really cool. But I think what's even more cool is I feel like she earned it. And she earned it by bringing Kate home. It wasn't that she found the suit and just kept it moving. She found the suit. She saved people all through season two. And she brought Kate home and she offered her the suit back. And now that she is, it feels earned. It doesn't feel, yeah, like it's her, you know?
2: I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that 100%. So now... You probably, I remember talking to you before, before last season and talking about what it felt like to suit up for the first time. So, of course, cameras gets to suit up as Batwing. So, what was it like for you seeing that from the other side and getting to see someone else suit up for the first time? Was that a cool experience for you?
0: Yeah, it's so cool. First of all, cameras is so talented Mm -hmm. and he deserves all of this. He deserves Batwing. He deserves he directed his first episode, just episode 11. And I'm so excited to just watch him continue to win. And it's just honestly an honor that he can be a part of his journey in any way. But yeah, as far as him suiting up, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been fun also watching him experience some of the things that I experienced that I think the cast didn't know, like, we, I was going through. Like, that suit does not regulate temperature whatsoever.
2: I can't imagine what, it does.
0: <laughs> when it is cold outside, the suit is cold. When it is hot outside, you're sweating. Like it does not regulate temperature. It's heavy, but it's fun. You know, there's still super suits and there's nothing more cool than that. And then there is this kid whose dad created or his granddad created the bat suit for him. And so like I'm talking about shoes on, shoes light up, backpack on everything. Nice. Cam get to see that, watching Cam see his influence starting to really impact like young kids and young kids of color. It's just really been freaking
2: epic, honestly. You're heading into season three. You knew that the Batman trophies were going to be a part of that. How cool was it for you knowing season three, you're going to be just, it seems like iconic Batman villain after iconic Batman villains, either being name dropped or seeing the shot? I mean, we've seen Professor Pig already, we've seen Mad Hatter, and we'll get to Poison Ivy a little bit later. But how cool Uh was it knowing you were going into this season? And you were going to get all of those familiar names to just start dropping on the show. And the fight with Killer Croc, by the way, was incredible.
0: I, you know, I didn't know it was going to be this many. I knew that we were going to have a few, but I think DC loved the idea and they just started throwing characters at us, you know? So to even get Poison Ivy, I know we're going to go into her later, but to even get Poison Ivy, like it's not easy to get these characters. I don't know if anyone knows the process. Like people always say, oh, we want to see this person on the show or that person on the show. If the character exist in film especially if they're big in a film 90 percent of the time we can't get them on tv so it's like we can't get catwoman because catwoman is a huge part of the batman for zoe kravitz portrayal you know what i mean so we're not going to be able to get catwoman maybe able to get things influenced by catwoman so to get characters oh my gosh the amazing villains that we've gotten Has really been just so cool that DC has trusted us with these characters. And we've had the most amazing actors portray these characters. We've had perfect storylines for these characters. And so it's just been fun. I literally feel like I got picked up and thrown in the middle of a comic book. Like I did last season too, but especially this season. I feel like I got picked up and thrown in a comic book. And every episode is a new edition, a new copy, or, you know, a new issue of a comic book. And it's, it's Batwoman and it's Alice and it's Killer Croc and that's that episode. And then this one is Professor Pig, but then you also got the drama with the family, and then that's that episode. So it's like really cool.
2: I love it. And I, I really love what you guys have done with it so far. I'm talking to Javisia Leslie, of course, the star of Batwoman, which is going to be returning to the CW on January the twelfth. Now, Javisia, I mean, you, you look at the evolution of of Ryan and all those and and I always kind of felt like you know, with Sophie, there's a, I was like, there's a spark there. I don't know if anything will ever actually come of it, but there's a spark there. And now it seems like we're starting to, exp- we started to explore that more and more this season. Did you feel like maybe that was going to be an inevitability for you guys, or is that something you feel like really happened organically on the show?
0: Okay. So first of all, two things, who said that it is going to happen?
2: I'm just, I it's the, it's, there's vibage. I'm just saying mm-hmm. there's, there's some serious vibage. And and I'm not saying it's a sure thing, but I'm just saying there's been some winks and nods and smiles and and all these. I'm just saying. I mean, I've got eyes is what I'm saying.
0: (laughs) And then second of all, if said thing did say happen, we were told the actual opposite.
1: So second
0: season, my first season, we were told no, that Mm. Sophie and Ryan will not be in game. So I don't know. I don't know.
2: Knowing that you're going to be getting Poison Ivy is one thing, but but how surprising? How surprised were you guys when you found out that it was eventually going to be Nicole and that was actually going to evolve the way it did? Because I think that the way they told that story and the way they brought that about was really clever.
0: The season's just so good. I think that, one, we were told, I, I we knew going in that Nicole was going to evolve into Poison Ivy. But the magnitude of what that means, it's... I mean, can we just stop and take a second and look at what this show is doing? I'm totally
2: willing to do that. Let's do that.
0: And maybe it's hard sometimes because you can hear a million positive reviews and it's that one negative thing that you read that you remember, you know what I mean? And I kind of want to comment on that to say that it is very easy to judge something when you are the majority and you've always been represented. Because you don't feel underrepresented. You don't feel lacking. You, you see yourself constantly. You know what I mean? The importance of the barriers that this show has broken. I just don't think it, I don't, and I'm not saying it because I'm in it. I'm saying it because I watch a lot of television <laughs> and I, I've never seen anything like this before. Like Nicole Kang is our first Asian poison ivy. You know what I mean? Cameras Johnson brought Batwing to live action. Like, we are literally breaking barriers and showing that, you know, there is no race to these superheroes. There's human experience. And now we're given a chance to see this human experience through, through every lens, not just one lens. And it's like, poison ivy can be Asian. Poison ivy can be it, it, you know, and I just I absolutely love it. And I just think that, you know, no matter how far we go, how long we last, there's going to be a moment in the future where people are going to look back and say, wow, like they were brave. They were bold. They put everything on the line. They risked everything. Caroline risked everything recasting my, my role. Like they could have obviously hired an actress to play Kate Kane, even though I always think that's kind of difficult, you know, but they could have done that. Or they could have just hired someone else that was of the same race and found a way to create a family tie. You know what I mean? They could have done that. Oh, yeah. But it's like, instead she made this bold move that could have ended the show because we all know that a lot of the the, the Arrowverse fans <laughs> have, have their picks of, of, of what they believe a superhero should look like. And I think that another thing the show did was it started to unveil a lot of fans that were actually there in support of this, that have been waiting to be represented, that have been waiting to see all these different types of characters be portrayed in all these different kinds of ways. So I don't know, I just thought about that while we were talking about Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy is epic. I grew up watching Poison Ivy. I've seen Poison Ivy in several different ways. And to be able to be on a show where this dynamic actress is playing this character so beautifully, And is having so much fun playing this character. But more than anything, is the first of this character. I just think it's amazing.
2: I'm just happy that we got Poison Ivy at all. Because I've been waiting for that character so much. And the fact that it's Nicole, even better as far as I'm concerned. So I'm really psyched to see where that's going to go. There's definitely one other character that I want to talk about. Of course, she's been a mainstay on the show, and that's Rachel's and Scarson's Alice. And, of course, you've gotten to work with her a a lot more in the first half of the season. What was that like, bringing her into the Batcave, having Alice be a part of that? Because that had to be so much fun shooting those episodes.
0: First of all, I love and adore Rachel Skarsen. Oh, so do
2: I. So I'm right there with you.
0: I think that she is literally like a delight. Like she's just has this most amazing energy and presence. And I have so much fun with her on set. And so Ryan and Alice's relationship, especially in the beginning of the season, having to be like that buddy cop relationship, it made it so much fun because yeah, these characters hate each other, but Rachel is so funny. And so all of a sudden, you know, cameras who never really worked with Rachel and, and, and I, like all of us are in the bat cave and like we're cracking jokes and like Rachel likes to make me break. So I'm, I suck at maintaining, if you are in my eye line and you do anything that's funny to me, I'm going to laugh and pretty much everything is funny to me. And so Rachel tends to make me laugh and break every single time I work with her without fail. Sometimes she doesn't even try. She's just existing, but she's so funny. <laughs> she's so funny. I love the fact that they put our characters together because it makes work fun. I mean, work is always fun, but it makes work extra fun.
2: Oh, I, can, I can I can imagine that it makes work extra fun. You just want to give more Blu-ray DVD extras. That's all you want to do. You want, you want to make the blooper reel longer. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You
0: know, speaking of blooper reel, I'm very proud of myself because I stopped dropping the F-bomb. So these
2: real F bombs. No more F bombs on the Blue Bereel. That's a no spoil- ref- that's a spoiler for the season three Blu-ray right there. There's gonna be no <laughs> F bombs from Javicia.
0: <laughs>
2: Out. Well oh, okay, Well, she says, ah! <laughs> We'll have to wait and see. So one thing that I was really excited about too, you see the name Robin Givens getting cast in anything. And it it's suddenly it's real. And the fact that she ends up playing your mom on the show and you got to tell that story this season. What was it like being able to tell that story? And I mean, and with Robin Givens and then bringing her brother into the mix and how, what that evolved into.
0: I grew up watching Robin Givens. I'm a huge Boomerang fan. Oh probably yeah. More than I should admit. I've never told her that because I don't want, it. sometimes as actors, you don't know the actor's experience with a certain project. So I don't ever do that to actors. I had to do it with Kyler because, I felt like the fans were going to tell her before I could tell her and I didn't want her to be weirded out because I had I voiced my obsession with Grey's Anatomy so much. Like it's in news, it's in articles, it's in magazines, it's in video interviews. So I don't need her to find this out after we just spent a week together on set. And then she's like, wait, this girl, the Gray super fan? Huh? So I just needed her to know ahead of time. So I did end up telling her. She... She was like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, everything went great. So it was a good experience. But Robin, I haven't told Robin that I'm a huge Boomerang fan. And um, yeah, so watching Boomerang and then now working with her, first things first, it's interesting how when I mean, you don't know a, an actor and you watch their work, you think that they're doing certain things because it is their depiction of their character. But then I get to know her and there's certain things that she does that I'm like, oh, this is Robin. Like. In 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 boomerang, she says to Marcus, "She goes, you're wonderful." And then when I work with her and her and I are just talking normally, she will say something like, "But with that same exact, you're wonderful," and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is like this is a robin it. thing." This is like, uh, <laughs> you know. So it's it's been so much fun. Like her and I are really close. We have dinner all the time, and. To really be able to get to know her is like a joy and and an honor. And then to be able to work with her type of talent, it just raises the bar, like it really does. And then Nick, oh my gosh, I had never met Nick before this. Nick is just a firecracker. He's so talented he's having so much fun with this role and he's putting it all out there. And so I just love his bravery. I love his talent. I love his authenticity. Like it's just been a great, excuse me, great journey.
2: I feel like I need to say, without spoiling anything, what are you really looking forward to when the show returns in January?
0: Without spoiling anything, man, Ryan is about to. Go, first of all, we're still filming, so I haven't read everything yet. But Ryan is about to go on a journey with trying to get save her family, and it's gonna it's gonna conflict a lot with her current family with the bad team. And I mean, one of the hardest things is when your foe is your family or friend and with marcus that's her brother but he's bad he's really bad you guys are gonna see how bad he was he's dark so i'm looking forward to that journey the second half is oh this season is so good the second half is 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 crazy you guys are gonna have fun with it
2: as crazy as the first half was if you said the second half is crazy whoo, yeah i don't know if we're ready for that but yes. we've, we've got the holidays to prepare for it. You know, you know, make sure you open your presents. You know, you pop the champagne on New Year's Eve, and then a couple weeks later, you've got Batwoman returning onto the CW on January the 12th. Javisia Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, James. Thank you for having me.
2: And if you want even more of my conversation with Javicia Leslie, there is more. They, she'll talk about the Armageddon crossover appearance and a few other things as well. Go to our YouTube channel or down to nerdypodcast.com to hear my full interview with Javicia Leslie because there's more great stuff in there. And I mean, if you're not hyped for the rest of this season of Batwoman after hearing that, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. And it's all coming on January the 12th. It's going to be amazing. This second half of this ride, I, I said, I don't know if you're ready for it, but you're going to be super stoked for it. I can tell you that much. Once again, thank you so much to Javicia Leslie for joining me to talk about Batwoman. Up next, we'll head to the Valley and talk about season four of Cobra Kai on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest
1: cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.
3: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Flash Gordon Sam Jones, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: No Mercy really is the name of the game for season four of Cobra Kai. Let's talk about all this stuff that went down. With a ton of spoilers. Now, I could probably do this whole show just on Cobra Kai. That's how incredible this season was. But I just want to hit on a few of the beats. First of all, just overall, an incredible season. And it amazes me how this writing team can just so carefully craft this story so well to make every little bit matter and succinctly tell the story and then round it out at the end in such an incredible way and had that, the, there was plenty of twists in that final episode too, by the way. And don't worry, well, there there's going to be a lot of talk about that episode, but there was a couple of things that really got me. And that was that you come in thinking that maybe the fences have finally been mended between Johnny and Daniel and they're just not. And that's okay, by the way. They just, re- you you realize that through the best of intentions, they just can't get out of each other's way. And I will say that this season was probably the first time, maybe ever, in my Karate Kid fandom that I kind of started to lean more towards Johnny's side than Daniel's. Because I think Daniel's made a lot of mistakes, and sometimes he owns them. But here's the problem with Daniel and that I've started to, started to realize more so now than before. Daniel is so set in his ways, so un- incapable of admitting that maybe his way isn't the best way, and that was literally said a couple of times this season on the show, that his way is not the best way, and he's so close-minded to the fact that somebody else might have a better idea, or at least something to add to his idea, that it is so to his detriment And it cost him a lot this season, and it wasn't until the very end, when it was virtually too late to do anything about it, that he realizes this. He literally doesn't realize this until about halfway through Hawks' match, or Eli's match, I should say, in the the boys' final of the All-Valley. It's like that's when he realized it. Now, maybe you could say he started to realize it before then, but did he really? Because it didn't seem like he did. So... So many things that happened now, Johnny had plenty of influence on this too. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of what happened and what led up to this was Daniel's inability to kind of see the other side of things. And, and, you know, sometimes he, maybe he should listen to his daughter. Sometimes maybe he should pay a little bit more attention to his son and what's going on under his own roof. And we get to see a little bit of a, a little bit of that. Cobra Kai side of Daniel too, when he snaps on, on Anthony and you know, you know, rightfully so given everything, you know, sometimes his parents, you know, you, you lose a little bit sometimes and, and show a side of yourself. Maybe you don't want to show, but here's the thing, Daniel just Terry Silver was a big, big trigger for him. And you understand that. But you also see that Daniel was still Daniel, and that was, and that is sometimes to his detriment. And I think he kind of starts to get that. But again, maybe too late, maybe not in the sense of this particular season. The other thing that really interested me in all this was the very surprisingly uneasy relationship between Terry Silver and John Kreese. That, to me, I was surprised. Like, first of all, you automatically think as a Cobra Kai fan, you're going to go in, he's going to call Terry Silver, and Terry's just going to come running. That's not what happened at all. Terry Silver was dragged back into this. And it was almost like you saw this little light switch go off in Terry's head. And he became that Terry Silver again, so clicky, because he was a completely different guy. Maybe lying to himself. Like Kreese was saying, but still he was a totally different transformed man and now he's right back to where he was, if not maybe a little bit more maniacal and crazy than ever. Right? You could make that argument too. And you could see the influence once again that Cobra Kai can have on even the most innocent of students. And that's what interests me. But then when Terry Silver starts talking about weaknesses, I think that it was a very self-aware moment for the show. And that as much as you don't like Crease, right, and all the things he's done to both Johnny and Daniel over the years, crease has always had that soft spot for Johnny Lawrence. And even he doesn't want to admit that. Mr. No Mercy himself has just realizes that, that he has a soft spot for Johnny Lawrence. And Terry Silver not only sees that, but ends up exploiting it. Because again, just like Daniel, and this is where Daniel and Creese are somewhat alike. And that's a scary thing to say out loud. But Creese, it's his way or no way, right? He's Mr. Commanding Officer. But then he realizes that what's not going on... He doesn't realize what's going on behind his back and that Terry Silver's not willing to just play ball and be second fiddle to crease anymore. So Terry Silver crafts this evil, maniacal plan to get Crease out of the way and take over Cobra Kai, which I thought was very, very interesting, and that'll be a very interesting plot point for the next season. But I also have to praise this season for the swerves that we got, right? Because you automatically think from the very beginning it's going to be Miguel versus Robbie in the boys' final, right? That's just the way it's going to be. It's just set up way too well. And then you think Miguel gets hurt again, and that's not necessarily the case, but it's the emotional scars that get Miguel this season, finding out his mom is with Johnny. And then when they have that moment, that perfect moment, which almost looked like a mirror of when Daniel helps a drunk Mr. Miyagi into his bed. Remember that scene from Karate Kid? And they kind of have a little bit of a moment there. Well, you almost felt like that was going to be the same moment for Miguel and Johnny. And then when, you know, when the, I love you gets dropped and he says, I love, and Johnny says, I love you too, Robbie. And you just see Miguel shatter into a million pieces. That was such a heartbreaking scene, but such a huge turning point in this entire storyline. Because you knew that Johnny never really let go of Robbie. And that's his son. How could he? But in the moment where he had... he said plenty of chances and acted like a father to Miguel. And all Miguel wants is for Johnny to be all in as his dad. And he's just not. And now Miguel thinks he's never going to be. So then when Miguel chooses not to fight... And now he's going to walk this path of his own, which is going to be a very interesting thing also coming up in this next season. You end up with Eli and Robbie in the boys' final, and Eli's journey suddenly became much more important than you ever thought it would be heading into this season realizing that he didn't need to be Hawk. He already was Hawk. He already had so much validation in his life, and he ends up... Going on and winning the whole thing, which again, a huge, huge swerve in this story that I was not expecting. Now, when it comes to the girls final and all the friction between Tori and Samantha LaRusso, you kind of knew that they had to put that one in the final, right? There was almost no other story that they could go with. Although the Eagle fan karate adding, adding that girl at the end, who I love, by the way, I hope we see more of her in the next season as well. That was an interesting twist, but you knew it was going to be Sam and Tori in the final, especially with everything that was going on with Sam's mom and Tori and trying to help her and that whole mess that happened throughout the season. Tori winning didn't surprise me. It really didn't. Because it's almost a little bit more of an interesting story by her winning. Because it brings up a lot of those personal issues In her life as well, which might get pushed more to the forefront now, or maybe this sets her on the right path and what it does to Sam going forward is also interesting to see how she rebounds from this because she took it really hard and how Daniel responds to that, I also think is going to be very interesting. So I love that this season kept us on our toes, gave us some different paths to follow in the upcoming season. And then in that final scene, when, uh, after Kreese gets arrested, after Johnny decides he's going to go after Miguel and make sure he's safe, when you see Daniel say he's going to break the deal with Cobra Kai and then Chosen shows up at the end, they're going to form the alliance to take down Cobra Kai, that to me is super, super interesting. Because you're bringing the world of Okinawa to America. That whole storyline is now being brought to the States for the first time. And to me, not only does it make things 10 times more personal now, but it also brings the worlds of Karate Kid 2 and 3 and the entire entirety of the Karate Kid saga together in the States for the first time. Because don't underestimate how influenced and invested chosen is going to be in this battle as well. There's plenty of reason for him to get involved and want to get involved and how this is going to have an influence on Daniel's entire life. I think is going to be incredibly compelling in this season. And again, bravo to Cobra Kai for making every season make you want to anticipate the next one immediately. I binge this one so quickly And there's still plenty of stuff I didn't even talk about. Like I said, I could go on forever about Cobra Kai. That's how good this show is. And if you haven't even started it yet, go from season one and just binge from the beginning. You won't be sorry you did. This is such a well-done show. And if you want to figure out how to bring something back from decades ago and make it relevant in today's world You should follow the Cobra Kai model like so many people try to follow the Marvel Studios model to build the cinematic universe. If you're doing TV and you're going to bring something back, follow the Cobra Kai model as much as you can and just pray that you can duplicate it because no show has done this better. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Season 4 of Cobra Kai up next. How about a little better late than never review? of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Elliot Hall And Donna Kaye. And you're listening to the Down
3: and Nerdy Podcast.
2: One of the things I'm going to be doing in the early part of this year is writing some wrongs and reviewing some movies. I didn't get a chance to review because I didn't get a chance to go to the theater to see them on. We'll start with Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And yes, this is going to be spoiler-filled, so just be ready for that. And, you know, as much as I love what Andy Serkis tried to do here, and there was some amazing special effects in this movie. They did a great job with Carnage in that presentation, and Venom looked really, really good as well. The CGI was definitely really good in this movie. I got to say, this thing was a bit all over the place, and that really seems to be an understatement. And one of the things I actually liked about the first Venom movie was that the humor was a bit of a surprise in the first Venom movie. Whereas in Venom let the Be Carnage, it's like they got such praise for that, they they decided to try and lean heavy into it in the second movie and it just didn't work. It felt so forced at times. The only time I actually laughed when I was watching this movie was during the end of the mid-credit scene when he's in that guy's hotel and he has and, and the guy's like, What are you doing in my room? And and Eddie Brock's like, you know what? Yeah, hey, what do you want me to say, dude? I don't know. So that to me was the only funny part of the entire movie. And that if you're trying to lean heavy into the humor, that's not a good thing. And even the whole confrontation between Eddie and Venom, where they split for that time during the movie. It's, you understand that they have their problems and, and you know that goes back to the first movie as well. But it just didn't feel genuine. I didn't feel that disconnect. You know, it, It's like they you know they, they fought and they, you know there was some overreactions and Venom takes off. Sort of thing after they kind of trashed the place and beat up on each other. It just didn't feel a necessary and B productive for the movie. And for to drag it out as long as they did too, I don't know, understand why you do that either. That just didn't make any sense to me. What I did really love is Cletus Cassidy, Woody Harrelson did a fantastic job as the maniac. That is Cletus Cassidy, and I love the little you know the 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 serial killer trail of breadcrumbs thing, and the once that blows up in his face, and he realizes that things aren't going to go exactly the way he wants them to. That makes him go even more mad, and I really loved that. But Naomi Harris as Shriek, I think really, really I could have seen a ton more of her. I think they did a decent job of telling her story. And making her matter and making her relationship with Cletus Cassidy matter and leading to that whole, you know, the disconnect between Carnage and Cletus Cassidy, presenting that and making that be the weakness that Venom could exploit. I thought that that was a really smart way to go about that. So, that part of the movie, I really thought that they ex- executed well. And I could definitely have more shriek. I uh, obviously, because of what happens in the movie, I don't know that we're going to get that, but that, that is definitely something that I could, uh, that I could see more of because I think Naomi Harris just nailed it as that character. I loved the dynamic between Dan and venom and how there was kind of a redeeming moment for Dan there. Right. Even though, and it's clearly that, that it's clear that Ann and Eddie are just not going to happen So they kind of moved past that in this movie, which was another good choice, I thought. And now it's just going to be Venom and Eddie's story from here on out. And it's kind of like Venom learned a few things about why he needs Eddie and vice versa. But again, they dragged that out way too long. This movie wasn't too long. An hour and a half was a good speed for this movie. I like that they didn't really... The there wasn't time that felt like it dragged out, but I do feel like they wasted so much of it on This little tiff between Eddie and Venom and they could have resolved that a lot quicker than they did I love that they sell detective Mulligan as a douchebag. That was that was kind of fun For a little bit, but it just felt like this whole story could have been better It felt like there could have been more carnage like we, we definitely got some good carnage moments but he didn't wreak havoc like he could have. I know he wreaked plenty of havoc, but there could have been so much more of it. And it could have been so much more visual for us. And I get that's more expensive, right? You, that, that costs more money. But you would even maybe show the aftermath of that. I could have had more of Cletus Cassidy slash Carnage and Shriek just wrecking the city or just causing just mass hysteria instead of having the tiff between Venom and Eddie be so much of a part of the story. Them not getting along is fine, but the fact that they dragged it out as much as they did didn't make any sense to me at all. So again, I thought there were plenty of missed opportunities in Venom Let There Be Carnage. Was it a terrible movie? No. Was it as good as the first one? Absolutely not. Do I think there's still a future for this character? Yeah, definitely, but you have to do this the right way. And is shoehorning him in to the MCU now or into the Spider-Man world the answer for that? Maybe it is, and I guess the mid credit scene kind of teases that in some respect. We'll just have to see where it goes from here, but this is a pivotal point for this character. If you want to see this character again and have this character be successful, You're going to need to make it make more sense than it did for this movie. I don't necessarily think that this was a wasted opportunity for Carnage, but I definitely wish that we'd seen a little bit more of what Carnage was capable of instead of kind of the petulant fighting that we saw instead. So I'm kind of middle of the road on Venom Let There Be Carnage, one of those kind of cable movies where if it's on in the background, would I leave it on? Yeah, maybe. I might leave it on. But, you know, not the hit that it certainly could have been. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Venom. Let There Be Carnage up next. Going to head back to the TV world and talk about the cleaning lady from Fox. Why should you be interested in this show? I'll tell you next. I'm James Witham, and this is the 400th episode of the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: Hey, listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Noble, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Trying to make our 400th episode as spotless as possible. Why not talk about The Cleaning Lady? A brand new show Monday night on Fox. And one of the names you'll recognize and one of the faces you'll recognize immediately when you see any part of the show is Lodi Young who plays Thani De La Rosa on the series. Of course, you remember her very memorable role as Electra in Marvel's Daredevil. And in this show... She actually plays a woman who has come to America to seek medical treatment for her son. Her son has a rare medical condition. The best place to get him treated is here. She's actually was actually a doctor in Cambodia. And now in in America she's forced to work as a cleaning woman and work these menial jobs and you know there you, you can see the frustrations that come with that. You just see how she's treated in general, it's it, it's just awful. And she's trying to take care of her family, do what's best by her family, who not all of her family can, can come over to America either. And that's part of the story as well. But one of the things that will really grab you about this show is just how smart she is and how just quick thinking that she is. And the fact that she takes no shit when she you know, you, you easily could, right, in her position where she is trying to lay low, but she gets to this point where she's like, I know my worth and I'm tired of the world not knowing it, and no matter what happens, I'm gonna push that to the max and I'm just not gonna settle for anything less. And there's something so refreshing about that early on in this show. That's something that could have been realized in like episode two, three, four, especially for the fact that she's cleaning up messes for a crime boss at the, at this point. That's that's the twist of the show is that she accidentally witnesses a murder and now she's kind of forced to do these cleanup jobs for this crime boss, Armand Morales, who's played by Aiden Kanto. And, and that is a very intriguing part of the story as well and how their relationship is already starting to change in the early going. But, you know, there's times where, you you know, she could have been the scare. They could have played this off as the, you know, the scared mom who just, you know, doesn't want anything to happen to her family. So she does this reluctantly. And she's still doing it reluctantly, but she's not doing it with fear. And fear could have led this show right away, and it didn't. And I love that they made that choice. Instead, she pushes back. Pretty quickly, actually. And she's just tired. So tired of being taken advantage of that she is going to push for what she thinks that she deserves even in this unique and terrible situation. And even though what she's doing is very morally questionable, you still find yourself rooting for her for all of the right reasons. But at the same time, you see her, she she spends a lot of time with, with her sister-in-law, Fiona, and she criticizes Fiona for wanting to sell drugs to work at this exclusive club, which, of course, Fiona ends up deciding not to do. And then you turn around and be like, well, look what you're doing. And you're obviously not saying anything. How is that better? And that's the kind of question that you can ask. And that's the kind of thing that, that you kind of kind of, it's part of the intrigue of the show, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And this show is so interesting for so many reasons because, you know, you, you feel the family dynamic right away with her kids and her extended family too, right? And then you also feel the tension already starting to build for what she's doing for this crime boss. And apparently there's another boss that she needs to worry about who is not quite concerned about her well-being, let's just put it that way, and where this show can go from here, and you see at the end of the first episode the FBI getting involved as well and how that's going to certainly... Because being an illegal, they can kind of twist some screws that you you wouldn't necessarily be able to twist otherwise. So obviously her son's going to be used as a pawn at some point, it seems like, but also... Her, her immigration status will certainly be used against her at some point as well. But there are so many different angles that the series can go. There's so many interesting things about you know the things that she's going to have to clean up or how far she's willing to go. What's that line? How far Armand is going to end up making her go as he seems to like her more and more. Even in one episode, you can tell how much. He just genuinely likes her for whatever reason. Now, will this be a romantic type thing? Maybe that's going to be part of the intrigue of the show as well. And to the to the degree that she's even going to really be interested in that because Thani is so independent and so laser focused on her family's well-being that I'm not sure she would even go for something like that. And again, talking about her family here, that would put her family at a great risk as well. So is there going to be a little bit of push and pull about how much you're going to root for her and question what she's doing and the choices that she's making and maybe put yourself in that situation of, you know, what would you do in a similar situation? But I think that the show is very well crafted. I think that it's very well thought out. And it's one of those things where if you're a fan, remember the Dark Horse story Lady Killer by Joel Jones? If you're a fan of that, this is kind of, it, it reminds me of that, a little bit so i would say that if you're interested in that if you're a daredevil fan who just loved elodie's performance as Elektra, electra i think you'll really love her in this series as well and just props to the executive producers and showrunners of the of the series for making a very compelling first episode this is a show where you might not have thought about watching it at first and you're like ah maybe that's just not for me i think it's more for you than you think it is And you need to give The Cleaning Lady a shot. Monday nights on Fox is where you can watch. You can catch up on the Fox app as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the first episode of The Cleaning Lady from Fox. Up next, let's dive into some monkey meat. Talk about the brand-new Image comic stories from Junie Ba. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hey, this is Jeff Lemire, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, I don't know if you've made dinner plans yet, but there is a little bit of monkey meat to spare, and that is a brand new anthology series from Image Comics. It's going to be coming out on January the fifth, and this is author, writer, creator, colorist, artist, and so much more. It's Junie Ba. Junie, how you doing?
3: I'm good. How are you?
2: Doing very well, thank you. So I was a first. I was a few pages into this thing into monkey meat, and I you could just tell that this is just a wild. Funky story and Juni, how on earth did you come up with this crazy world?
3: (laughs) So the base concept of it came about when I was maybe 17 years old. And it was a mix of listening to the gorillas a lot. And my grandfather talking someday about eating monkey meat once. And the funny thing is, I can't remember if he liked it or not. I think he did. But basically, I just remember having this like reaction. And then it grew from just drawing random things. The, the, the gorilla's song, Fire Monkey, coming out of the monkey's head. I just literally drew a monkey with fire coming out of his head. And then the whole thing started spreading from that, which is why it's on the cover of the first issue, because I wanted to keep that continuity, I guess. But yeah, after that, the, the, the world just started growing so much more when I started working on my first graphic novel, I did a lot of research of like West African aesthetics and a lot of it started seeping into like the, one of the first comics that I made was a monkey meat story. It became what's now the fifth, the fifth issue. And it, it was the very first monkey mid story I ever made. And it, it was the result of like just testing things until I was satisfied with the result.
2: And like you said that, that West African influence, is that how you came up with some of these other character designs as well? Because you've got some really unique, character designs outside of what we're seeing on the cover as well
3: yeah yeah a lot a lot of it came from that it's a it's a weird the 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 thing i often say about this book is that the um, i usually described the Jelia, my first graphic novel as like a lot of west african influence with a bit of cartoon network in it and and monkey meat is like 50 50 in terms of influence so there's a lot more anime and 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 Gato network influence mixed in with like west african stuff So. Yeah, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of the, the designs came from looking at like old statues or, or pieces of art from from West Africa and wanting to make something a bit more weird with it.
2: It definitely gave me that Adult Swim type vibe. It's funny you say a Cartoon Network because it gave me that Adult Swim type vibe with the animes that they would show during like tsunami and stuff. Yeah, that, that really. So it's, it's funny that you say that because that's exactly the vibe that I got. Nice. One thing that's also unique about this miniseries that each of the five issues is kind of like a one shot but all set in the same world where you introduce different characters, which I think is really cool. So what made you want to tell this story as more of a kind of anthology?
3: So the base thing was that even when I was a teenager, when I was like figuring out stories that would take place in that in that world, it didn't even look like this yet. But the, the, the main issue I had was that I kept making new stories with new characters. And I would always like send messages to my best friend being like, this weekend I had the, the idea for this. And I was never able to sort of sit down and actually do something with any of them. And then it just dawned on me that I could just make a world and have all of these characters together and that the, the, each story could focus on them in like, like the, the idea of, uh, of, uh, of comparing it to a cartoon network and that also is kind of good in that I approached this as kind of like, these are short stories, they're the, the, the short animated skits you get before the movie type things. So I just finished a graphic novel. I wanted to do something that's a bit closer to like, if the graphic novel was the big motion picture movie, I wanted to do the cartoon that you have in front of the movie. Like the, the little short stuff that you can just watch, have fun with, and then you move on to the to the big thing that comes afterwards or the little cartoon that you have at night in between other shows. Yeah, so I, I approached it in that way. And all the characters became, they all got use. Suddenly, like they they all suddenly had a purpose of like, I can put you in this story and it's going to be about this and it's going to be this short story that's like 30 pages and it has a point and then you can reappear whenever I need you to. If I ever feel like I can use you again, I can use you in another story about someone else.
2: Yeah. And that's something that I I say one shots, but you certainly have characters that that we see in multiple issues. Lug is one of them. Actually, I love Lug. So he's certainly not your typical groundskeeper, though. How would you describe him? (laughs)
3: so in terms of like comparing him to characters that people tend to know i usually compare him a lot to hellboy in that he has this gruff violent guy who's asked to do all kinds of questionable things like punching monsters and things but in the case of hellboy at least like the monsters were genuinely dangerous in the case of lug it's more like he's being asked to do all the nasty things that the company needs him to do and he he copes with the guilt of it by drinking and trying to entertain himself as much as he can but you can tell that the guy is gradually being more and more depressed and yeah but in in terms of like behavior he is a lot like helper he's this big gruff guy he has this exterior of being kind of like hard to approach Uh, he's really good at fighting but you can tell that there's a bit of a soft kind of vulnerable person behind all of that
2: Man, that is such a great way to describe him saying, "Hellboy." That, that when you when you guys read the first issue, you will understand why that's such a <laughs> such a great such a great connection. So let's talk about the Monkey Meat Company for a second because they're more than just meat. We find that out yeah. in the first issue. But how much will we learn about this new secret compound as we go into future issues? Because I don't want you to spoil anything, but this is some serious <laughs> stuff.
3: See, even that one just came from me drinking orange juice a lot. So I was just like I'm gonna make some kind of supernatural yellow thing that that can sort of become the tool that I can use to get stories going, and so that's why every cover of the of the mini series is yellow. It's 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 all to do with that, and um, the the whole point of the whole series would be to have say five issues in 2022, and then if it works well enough to have another five issues the following year, and that compound just keeps coming back because the the whole idea is that the monkey meat company is destroying their environment and gradually you start seeing how it can even affect them negatively and I want to make more and more stories that use this very specific product that they made and how they created their own downfall through it and even ask the question of can the downfall even happen Because it's kind of like Amazon or Facebook or other companies like that, where it feels like now that they're here, you can't get rid of them and they have control over so many things. So the first wave is really more of of books. The first wave of books is really more about the Bonkiewicz company seems so impossible to defeat. And I want to see next year, maybe if I can, like I already have stories that I have made where the compound becomes more and more important.
2: Nice, nice. As a matter of fact, when I was reading this, I felt like there was a lot of symbolism in these issues. And, and stop me if I'm if I'm reading way too much into this. So uh, would you say there's kind of a statement about how larger life corporations treat, you know, not maybe not treat their employees so well or how they treat them and maybe how they prey on most desperate consumer groups as well? Because I was feeling that it's certainly yeah. in the first couple of issues.
3: Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's, it's kind of funny because it's not necessarily like I approached this with a very specific uh, message it was more of a I want to create a world that's kind of kind of a hyper version of the one I feel like I live in so every story has a different point and and then and I try to keep them not necessarily vague enough but at least open enough that you can get your own conclusions from what you see I'm just showing you Every issue is about showing you a situation, something that happened to one of the people living in that world, and then you can you can make your own conclusions from what you saw. Yeah, but the the, the things definitely t- tend to revolve around the the abusive behaviors of co- corporations and these over-exploitation of, of resources and and even attention in some ways. Like the 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 more I start working on the news stories, the more I'm starting to think that the the starting to notice that I. I want to tackle fan culture at some point and i'm just i'm just not exactly sure how i would do it but yeah the 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 whole idea is this that i made a world there's going to be stories that take place in it and i want you to be able to read it make your own mind of what you see
2: this is only the beginning we're talking to juni ba who is the <laughs> creator of the monkey meat universe let's just call it that right now and it all begins <laughs> on january the 5th of 2022 now juni you could kind of argue that Monkey Meat Island is also a character all by itself. What's the strangest thing about this place?
3: I can't tell you yet. <laughs> uh, oh, that's, that's fair, and that
2: means it's good too. By the way, like when when you hear somebody say that, that means it's going to be really good.
3: <laughs> yeah, like the the the, um, the place has like I almost want to say it's kind of like Neverland in some ways, in that the there are so many aspects of it that I can't that you don't get to see yet in those stories and I really want to like right now I'm just exposing people to this idea of this is an island where a corporation reigns and you could walk in the jungle and bump into a giant monster and that monster just needs money from you because he has rent to pay but over time I want to bring in more and more weird things because the, the basis is already there you just don't necessarily see it because I just put crumbs that you can't tell are crumbs until until I get to actually finish what I want to do.
2: It's weird that you say that because my eye was saying there's there's Easter eggs everywhere and I just don't want to know what they are. So it's one of those <laughs> things. So, so don't, trust me, I'm, I'm paying attention. One of the things I also really love that you do in this story is you make the Monkey Meat Corporation kind of the overlord of your own story, which I think was really, really fun. You almost made them the Comics Code Authority for your own story which was really cool was that something that you were that you really wanted to do maybe add an element of humor and even mystery to the story as well
3: yeah i mean the whole idea was i think it's because of how can i describe this so when i was a teenager there was this there I was introduced to the idea that governments were kind of working more for corporations than than corporations working for governments and or or, or just the idea that that politicians would act according to the needs of corporations. And I just thought like that, that's kind of a crazy notion of like, they basically have the power to influence government without any of the accountability or any of the, the responsibility that comes with being a government. I guess, yeah, the Monkey Meat Company is kind of an extrapolation of it. What if they were the government completely and and without any filter? There is no politician on, on there are no politicians on, on Monkey Meat Island. The company is the government and they are so in power, and they are so outlandish and unapologetic about it that they don't even need to pretend. They, they, they are the government, you just have to deal with it. And it's kind of funny how you can find humor in that, because when you get to the point where the corporation is evil, and so unapologetically evil, that they even they are even proud of it. I think that um, that's why I like starting every issue from the second one with a text that's basically like, this is one of those weird events that happen on the island. We're just going to tell you about it ourselves because we just don't care and we don't have to fear any of any, any possible retaliation.
2: I, I really love that, especially once you get into issue two. I really love that you did that. I, I absolutely picked up on that. All right, Jeannie, before I let you go, I'm going to give you, this is going to be the biggest tease yet because the biggest secret, I think, so far in this book is who actually founded and created the monkey Meat corporation <laughs> now is that a mystery we're actually going to learn about at some point or is corporate just not going to allow it
3: i cannot tell you <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, again, I, have, I have i have crumbs but i cannot say
2: but but you know who it is right
3: yeah oh, okay see see i can know- even say that the in the book when it's mentioned like when the, the name is crossed and you can't read yep. it yep the real name is actually under it
2: Oh, so you did actually put <laughs> it on there and then redact it. You actually yes. redacted
3: it. Oh, that's awesome. Yes.
2: That's so great. That's awesome. So what he's trying to say is make sure you are buying every issue of this first round of Monkey Meat starting on January 5th of 2022. And then maybe if we get that back half, maybe that's <laughs> one we'll find out who it is maybe the whole back half will be about who created the corporation who knows let's put ideas in his head it's junie (laughs) bob thank you so much for joining me this week thank you and this is just one of those funky stories that i love to highlight from time to time it's fun it's weird the art is totally outside the box and that was one of the reasons i loved monkey meat make sure you're picking up your copy of issue one which is available now by the way from image comics wherever you get your comics Normally, this is where I'd say it's time for nerd news, but since there was really no huge news to talk about this week, it's already been a big show. Hey, that's going to do it for the 400th episode of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests this week. Thank you, though, for listening to these shows, whether it's your first one or you've made this show a part of your normal routine. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day, and your time is precious. I understand that. And the fact that you let me be a part, just a small part of that is something that I cannot express to you how much that I appreciate. I also love that you're following along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. I'm going to be doing some things a little bit different there this year. Hopefully you dig that. Also, make sure you're going onto our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. I'm trying to keep that updated as best as I can for you. And of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And remember... You never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger. And I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be
1: under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues.